Well, good morning, church. Why don't you stand to your feet for the reading of the word? If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being part of our family this weekend. These are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. So we take these moments as a community to come around the scriptures to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ? How are we called to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day? And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Philippians for the last time, finishing out our Defiant Joy series this morning. Beginning in verse 10 of chapter four, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment and this opportunity. Would you bless our time together? Would you take this word, have it go deep into our hearts and minds today? In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. This past Wednesday, I woke up nice and early came out, did my Devo time, worked a bit on my message for this weekend, and then I decided that I would lay out on the couch for a little bit, turn the fireplace on, laid down, and soon after my daughter came out, and she crawled up and she just laid on me and put her little head on my chest. And then my little dog jumped up onto the couch and laid next to us. And we, I, I know, we just had this sweet, aw, precious type of moment. It was still, and it was quiet, and there was a sense of peace in the room. Slowly, the, the sun began to rise, and I just remember feeling such a sense of peace and satisfaction, contentment. And then the day has to continue on, and so I grabbed my phone, I went into my email inbox, and I'm not sure if you're like me, but my email inbox seems to be only advertisements. It, everybody's head is nodding right now. That, that's all there is. In fact, so I started reading the advertisements that I got to see that day. Uh, the first one was a coupon for $250 off Sonobello, something that gets rid of stubborn fat. Uh, the next one was from Noom, which is another weight loss ad, started making me feel a little bit insecure. Then there was a vacation package to Disney, an ad for a pillow called the Nuzzle, which is inspired by NASA, uh, a discount for a Weber barbecue grill, and then the last one was Alaska Airlines asking me if I wanted to go to Hawaii. Of course I'd like to go to Hawaii. That sounds like a nice time. And what was so interesting is in that moment, I could kind of feel the tension of my contentment in that moment. In fact, what I realized is that there are many things in this world that are after my contentment. According to Forbes, the average American is exposed to 4,000 to 10,000 advertisements every single day. Ad spending on social media is projected to reach $268 billion this year. 
And I hope I'm not the only one who this past year has gotten duped into buying something from one of those ads. I, I can count at least three or four things. The odd part is I keep seeing the ad and I wish they had a button that said, you already duped me. I don't need to see it anymore. I already did it. But the reality is most of the commercials we see, the social media ads, the email marketing, it all seems to be designed to appeal to our discontent or even to create discontent in us. They oftentimes will lead to the false belief that contentment is tethered to something out there. And we just have to Amazon Prime it, vacation to it, drive to it, wear it, eat it, drink it, move to it in order to experience it. But is contentment unhinged from external circumstances, experiences, and material possessions possible? And the answer to that as we look at the scriptures is yes. Verse 10 of our text today The Apostle Paul is going to resume kind of the heart of this letter. It's a personal letter to this church. And he's going to give them in verse 10 this sincere thank you for the present gift that they had given him. He says these words, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity Now, this is not the first financial gift that this church had given the Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, his primary kind of early missionary journeys were funded by this generous church. Now, in the next verse, he continues on. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's kind of an interesting line. He just thanks them for this gift, and then he says, but I'm not really in need. Can you imagine giving a friend a gift today? Hey, I got this for you. Thank you. I don't really need it, but thank you. That's very kind. See, what he's trying to do here is he's about to set up one of his final teachings in this letter, a teaching on contentment. And he says that phrase, I have learned. That contentment is something that is learned. It is something that is formed in us. So the question we might ask this morning is, if contentment is something that is learned, how have we learned contentment? I mean, what is the teaching of contentment that we have received living here in the West? Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers, which was an American global financial service firm, was published in the 1927 Harvard Business Review. And I want you to listen to the words that he said. We must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And if you look around at the the world around us, and especially here in America, you can see that that vision has come to life, has it not? In fact, in 2022, the Oxford Dictionary uh, does a word each year to vote on as the word of the year. And in 2002, there was three different options, and I believe it was 93% voted for the following. The term is goblin mode. 
Ironically, it's two words, but I guess they can do whatever they want nowadays. So it's goblin mode. And that is a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent. That is the word that resonated most with people. Yes, that's the word of the year. So from a, a secular perspective, and when I use the term secular, what I simply mean is there's no religious or spiritual basis to it. That according to a secular perspective, especially in the, the West, our vision for contentment is rooted in self-desire. And the self's means to fulfill contentment are as follows. Achieving, accumulating, and consuming. Achieving sounds a lot like this. When I get the career or the promotion or the spouse or the body, then I will feel satisfied. Or accumulating. See, in today's society, we believe that contentment comes from more. More money, more stuff, more experiences, things, toys, clothes, and cars. The self's default setting is to believe that we need more. The statement that could be made that matches this so beautifully is, when I finally make blank per year, then I will be happy. When I finally get the car, when I finally get the house, when I finally get that vacation spot that we have always wanted, then I will be satisfied. We have been trained to think that we need to accumulate things to find contentment. I have a few statistics for you. The average American home has 300,000 items in it. Over the course of our lifetime, we will spend a total of 3,680 hours or 153 days searching for misplaced items. <laughs> You're laughing because you will cry if you don't. Americans spend 1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, in other words, items they do not need. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches, $100 billion than on higher education. <laughs> And this last one, I think, makes me the most sad. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of the toys consumed globally. Achieving, accumulating. The last one is this word, consumption. We love eating, and we love drinking, and we eat a lot, but we also, as a country, we waste a lot. Every year, 119 billion pounds of food is wasted in the United States. That equates to 130 billion meals and more than 408 billion in food thrown away each year. Now, here's the most fascinating part. If we fall into that viewpoint for contentment, one that is rooted in desire... What's interesting is that we will actually never find contentment, but what we will find is a cycle, a vicious cycle, one that is made up of what I'm going to call the three C's of discontent. The first one is that of comparing. We all know the saying, comparison is the thief of joy. 
And so what we will find ourselves, if we are trying to achieve and trying to consume and trying to accumulate to find satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment, you will begin to compare yourself to others. And the saddest part for us is that we live in this digital age where we have devices on our telephones that we hold on to every single day and we have access to these apps where we get to view quite literally anything people want to put on the internet. And then we compare ourselves. We compare the home that we have to somebody else's home, their car to our car, their spouse to our spouse, their friend group to our friend group. We begin this vicious cycle of comparing. And then inevitably, comparing will lead you to complaining. It won't just be I am comparing my car to their car, house, house, spouse, spouse. I will start to complain about mine. You know, this, this car just isn't gonna work anymore. You've seen the new model? I, mean, I know it's a 2022, but have you seen the 23? It's quite fantastic. <laughs> or we start complaining like, I just wish my kids would act the way that those kids act. Or why doesn't my spouse love me the way that I, I see them loving their spouse? And ultimately where complaining will lead us is to the third C, which is coveting. Coveting is a strong desire to have something, especially something that belongs to someone else. Another term for this is the term envy. It's actually one of the 10 commandments. And if we are in a place to where we have lend ourselves into this vicious cycle of envy, ultimately you will begin to rot from the inside out. Listen to what Proverbs says. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So Paul moves back into his text in his letter. In verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is doing here is he's going to begin to speak of a contentment that can survive the contrasting life circumstances that we all face. And it can survive them because it comes from beyond these life circumstances. Now I need you to catch this because look at what he does here. He says, I know how to be brought low, but I also know how to abound. I have learned the secret in facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. What he is saying here is that contentment has nothing to do with the different aspects of this, this scale that we can find ourselves on. Let's just be honest. We know so many people who have it all, the house, the money, the job, the vacation home, but they're not content either. And so wherever you find yourself, if you're in this moment this morning and you are in deep need, listen, you might not be in need, but you still need to find contentment outside of your circumstance. You're going to have to find the secret that Paul talks about. A contentment that is freed from one's own ability to achieve, to accumulate, to consume. A contentment that doesn't lead to the joy-sucking cycle of comparison and complaining and envy. Paul says, I have learned the secret. 
Now, when he uses that term secret, he's not saying that in the way of like, I know the secret and you don't and have fun trying to figure it out. That's not what he's trying to get across. It's not a secret that you can never know. It's just something that is not immediately obvious. See, for us, what is obvious is that we are drawn by our innate desires. Desires to accumulate, to achieve, and to consume. That is what the inner person of me thrives to want to try to do. So it's not a secret that you can never know, but it's not obvious. It's not obvious to your flesh. And so Paul is going to be speaking about something else. And so many of us in the room right now, hopefully you're thinking, okay, what is the something else? Give me the formula because I do want contentment. I want to feel fulfilled. I want to feel satisfied. Paul, please tell us what it is. What's the formula? Here's the problem. Paul's secret in his teaching, it's never a formula, but it is always a person. And see, we want the formula. Give us the list of things to do. But the Apostle Paul, in all of his writings, in a lot of the writings of the New Testament, it never comes down to just step one, two, step three, step four. What it comes down to is a person named Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he is going to do in this letter and in this moment. Verse 13, one that we are all very familiar with. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now you might be thinking, "Ah, I was kind of hoping for more. That's it. He's going to strengthen me. Okay. But friends, I think the reality is if you're sensing that right now, I don't think you understand it in the way that you should. See, Christ makes possible contentment independent of external circumstance. He makes it possible. And the fact of the matter is, your soul is longing for Christ. If you are in this room this morning and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, let me just tell you, that dull ache you feel inside is your soul's crying out to say, I need something more. And you can continue to try to achieve and to consume and to get, and we're still gonna keep coming up empty. I love what Jeremiah Burrow, I read his book last week, it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, and he says these words. A soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. He goes on further to say, the reason why you do not have contentment in the things of the world is not that you do not have enough of them. The reason is that they are not things proportional to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. The ache is your need for God. And I think that when David writes his beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, when he starts it with those words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. It's because he came to this conclusion. I lack nothing because I am following the good shepherd. I lack nothing because I have what my soul deeply wants and desires. So the reality is that Paul's vision for contentment is rooted in Christ. Now, what exactly does that mean? I want to give us three C's of contentment. 
And I think this will begin to help us to unpack the reality of what he is talking about. The very first one is this, conversion. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Listen, your pursuit of contentment is going to begin when you get to the end of yourself and realize that you are a sinner who needs to be saved by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't get that part figured out, it does not matter what else I try to offer you. You have to figure that part out. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is not good enough. But because God loves us so much, he would be willing to send his son to die on a cross, to die a horrific and a brutal death so that we might have the opportunity of salvation and new life. And every single human being has to come to terms with that reality. If you want anything in your life to be filled with the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that God has for you, it has to begin in that conversion moment. You have to put your faith in Jesus. I love, I love again what Jeremiah Burroughs says in his book. He says, I see that it is not necessary for me to be rich, but it is necessary for me to make my peace with God. It is not necessary that I should live a pleasurable life in this world, but it is absolutely necessary that I should have pardon for my sin. It is not necessary that I should have honor and preferment, but it is necessary that I should have God as my portion and have my part in Jesus Christ. It is necessary that my soul should be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. The other things are pretty fine indeed. I should be glad if God would give me them. A fine house, income, clothes, and advancement for my wife and my children. These are comfortable things, but they are not the necessary things. I may have these and yet perish forever, but the only other is absolutely necessary. No matter how poor I am, I may have what is absolutely necessary. Your soul longs for Christ. And every single human being has opportunity to receive that free gift. There is no hindrance other than your willingness to repent and turn to God. Now, the second C is communion. Now, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified by what Christ did on the cross. You are now, the theological term is that you are now in Christ. But being in Christ is different than uh, communing with Christ. We can be in union with Christ and never be communing with Christ. I'm gonna be honest with you. There are many people in the church today. They are in union, yes, but they are not communing with Jesus. They are not doing what Jesus asked of us in John. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we are not only called to receive the free gift of salvation, to be in union with Christ, we are called to grow in this relationship, to commune with him, to spend time with him, to be with him, to learn to surrender more and more of ourselves over time. That over time, we would begin to have our character reshaped from within us, that we'd become people of love. We'd become people of peace and hope and joy in a world that so desperately needs it. 
but you're not gonna get to that place of spiritual growth if you're only in union. You have to commune with him. You have to be with him. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to do a transformation of your inner self. And so the question we have to begin to ask then, okay, so then I want to commune with Jesus. What does that look like? How do I do that? And I wanna give us one practical opportunity, which is the third C. We're gonna call this the celebration of the disciplines. The scripture shows us spiritual disciplines that help us to commune, to abide with Christ. I love this from Dallas Willard. He says, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. Now, something we need to understand is the spiritual disciplines that we're about to talk about. They themselves are not the end. They are a means to the end. And that is very, very important because if you begin to see the spiritual disciplines as the end, that will lead to legalism. So we have to understand the reality is that these practices and these disciplines are not the end. They are the means to helping us to grow and to become more like Christ. And if something like contentment is formed in us, we need activities to help that forming process. And so spiritual disciplines are so beautiful because what they can do is begin to act as counter practices to societal norms. So how I wanna break down the last few moments is I wanna talk about the things that we mentioned in the first half, achieving, accumulating, consuming, comparing, complaining, coveting. And I wanna provide us this morning counter spiritual discipline practices to each one. The first one being achievement. A practical spiritual discipline that you could give yourself to is that of practicing the Sabbath. Sabbath practice is a way where you can stop, rest, delight, and worship. It is desperately needed for us to take one day a week and just stop. Stop achieving, stop consuming, stop complaining, stop comparing, just be with Jesus. My wife and I, for a number of years now, have practiced a Sabbath on Mondays, and that's just how it works out best for our schedules. And can I tell you one of the most, I think, impactful things that has happened as we've practiced this? Here's what I've learned. Are you ready? I'm not that important. No, I'm serious. Like, I'm not that important. I can stop for a day, rest, delight, accomplish absolutely nothing. And guess what? The world continues on. It just keeps going. That's humbling for sure, but it's also deeply freeing. Some of you run and run and run and you need to, hey, just take a step back. Just stop for a day. Now you may not be able to do a whole day. I understand that. Uh, this might be a practice that you have to kind of graduate into, but maybe you just take one day a week and have about a few hours. Put the phone away for a little bit. Spend time with your family, real intentional time with them, not with some screen in between you. 
and just be at rest. That's a, a great way to counter the achievement mindset. How about accumulation? There's a spiritual discipline that is called simplicity. What if instead of always wanting to accumulate more, what if you started to live a freer life by just letting go of things? Trying to simplify your life. You know, sometimes we do a lot of really great things, but then we are so tired because we're doing all these great things. Oh, we have a trip here, we have a trip here, and then I'm gone here, and then I'm gone here. Simplify your life a little bit. Be more present to right where God has you. Simplify those 300,000 items we talked about earlier. Start kicking a few off. Donate them. Be a blessing to your community. Simplify your life a bit. Jesus said these words, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now the next one was consuming. What if the counter practice to consuming could be this, generosity? Instead of just consuming more and more, what if you started to look at how can I be more generous in my life? How can I be more present with the people in my life, present with my neighbors, present with my church family, actually getting to know people, understanding their stories, and then realizing, oh my goodness, God has blessed me so much over here. What if I were to bless this person? Oftentimes we don't bless others because we do not know others. We don't know their situation because we don't take enough time to actually learn one another. But what if what God has blessed you with, you could be generous to those around you? What if you found out the reason why your neighbor never goes on vacation? You've always wondered, but you never asked. It's because they just simply cannot afford it. But you have this beautiful property that sits vacant most of the year. What if you could gift it to them and not even charge the Airbnb fee? <laughs> so you can still do the cleaning fee, but just not the rest of it. Two more, make it three. Comparison. How about the counter practice to comparison could be that of the spiritual discipline of celebration. Celebration is actually a spiritual discipline. To discipline yourself to in the moments of life just to celebrate. Try this one. Call that friend and say, hey, that's so cool. You got a second boat. That's awesome. Good for you. That is so great. When is the maiden voyage? I would like to participate in said day. What does Memorial Day weekend look like? I saw those new wakeboards. That would be fun. I'd like to give that a shot. Now, I know that sounds funny and all of that, but in all seriousness, celebrate one another. When the coworker gets the promotion and you do not, step into the practice of celebration. Hey, good for you. Good for your family. Maybe assume positive intent. Maybe God is working in that person's life and they have some financial burdens that you were unaware of because you haven't engaged in deep enough relationship other than just surface work talk. And maybe the Lord giving them the promotion was providing for them because the reality is you're good. For you, it wouldn't be about need. It would just be about, I want more toys. Now, I think I need to say something real quick. Please do not hear that I think if you have money or a nice house or a vacation property or a nice car is bad or wrong. It is not. However, you do need to make sure that the pursuit of those things 
is not to fulfill something that you already have. That it is not to fulfill this emptiness that the reality is, is yours to fulfill with Christ Jesus, who is the only one who could fulfill it. And if the Lord has blessed you, fantastic. Bless other people. Take the things that God has given and and create experiences for others. Let them know that you love them through that. Last two, complaining. The next time you want to complain, stop yourself and have a time of worship. I know that we have an incredible worship team, but you don't have to just worship the Lord through music and you don't just have to do it on Sunday. The next time that you see the thing or you hear the thing or you just want to complain about the thing, just stop yourself and say, you know what, God, you are good and you are worthy to be praised and I'm going to stop myself and worship you in this moment. Last one, envy. How about just the counter practice of prayer? I love this prayer in Psalm. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a beautiful prayer to begin to develop into your daily practice. So how I want to end is I'd want to just give us a couple moments of quiet and of stillness. Maybe that whole idea of, you know, if I only had a new job, I'd be happy. Whatever the thing might be for you, maybe just bring that up to the surface and deal with it with God. See what the Lord might want to speak to you in the midst of that. If you're someone in this room who you have never put your faith in Jesus, my goodness, what a beautiful opportunity to spend some time with him. And as the worship team comes and they just begin to sing over us, let's just respond in our hearts in this moment.